0: Thanks for coming, Father Thank Marcus.
1: You Thank you, Lance, for having me. How's it going? It's been going well. Can't complain. Easter season's kind of it, it's busy, but it's it's a blessed season.
0: Yeah. Nice, nice. I'm sure you're happy that it's wrapping up now, pretty much. Though. No,
1: Easter season's kind of the most blessed. It's, it's my first one as a priest, and it's it really is a joy to kind of see, kind of see how God's God's presence kind of works in the life of people. Yeah. So it's been it's been quite a blessing. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been a priest for?
0: I've never asked you that myself privately.
1: Yeah, so I was ordained uh, last year Jul- on July 4th of uh, 2020. And so I've been a priest for a little shiner. What is it, like nine nine months? July 4th will be my, my first year. Nice. As a priest, yeah. What a time to be a
0: priest. Last oh, year yeah. In 2020. As, soon
1: as, I, as soon as I was ordained, you know, I was ordained in the uh, during you know COVID-19. So it was, it was definitely had its fair share of challenges, right?
0: Did they prepare you for... What it was like to be a priest during such a difficult time?
1: No, I think it's just something you learn as, as time goes on, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's unprecedented for for most things, right? Since like the Spanish flu right of the 30s, right?
0: So. That's true. I mean, it just, I mean, we weren't around during them, but it did seem odd how panicked a lot of people became.
1: Yeah, you definitely you know, see starting. you definitely see a lot of anxieties, a lot of uh, a lot of fears and, and things of that nature, right? That they just are kind of natural, right? A natural, a natural fear is the fear of death, and so a lot of people were scared. Uh, you know what is, this? especially at first, right? Well, what is this? Uh, what is this virus? Where does it come from? What does it do? A lot of people that not know, and so people are scared. Of the unknowns, they're scared of death, scared of sickness, right? So all these these natural human fears just kind of come together and, and kind of blow up, right? Um, yeah. So it it definitely kind of it provoked a lot of a lot of fear and anxiety a lot of people, but hopefully as as time goes on.
0: When everything was closed, did a lot of people reach out to you guys still for comfort, for community at all? Because, I mean, pretty much the churches were closed
1: too. Yeah, so churches were closed, but thank God we, we did, uh, you know, online masses and, and uh, live streams and things of that nature. And also as well as, you know, we still listen to confessions to people if they were willing to. The churches might have been closed, but if they were willing to drive up to the church, a lot of our, a lot of the priests of the, uh, the eparchy, the Caldean eparchy, they would, uh, they would listen to people's confessions counseling sessions, whatever whatever it is that they might might have needed. So still so did funerals as planned and things of that nature. Yeah. It was a difficult time, different from the rest, but we still tried to provide for God's people as much as we could. Yeah? yeah, I mean,
0: I remember going to Mass Saturday night before Easter and coming up to the church and just seeing that they were like, we're at max capacity, we only have room for one more person, and that's it. Yeah. I couldn't help but think to myself, well, this Easter does feel a lot different compared to others. I mean, last year just felt different because everything was completely closed. So, right. you know, basically going to mass online, which everybody's used to doing everything online now.
1: Yeah.
0: However, it just seemed different because people do need that face-to-face connection, Correct. which so the church like, provides.
1: Correct. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And you can't. I think at the same time, you people think it's a substitution for like Facetime and and Zooming and things like that. They think it's it's a a substitution for person-to-person interaction, face-to-face interactions, which it's not. We're quickly finding out that it's not right, and that's why there's so much kind of mental health troubles that are that lie ahead because for so long, people have been so used to just you know live streams and and zooming and and FaceTiming and scared to see other people that you really see how it cannot be a substitute. But it's and it's interesting to see too because as things move into the digital age, it becomes more and more uh, commonplace. But but it's interesting to see now how it is that that we've relied so heavily on it and on just the bad effects of it, right? So hopefully it becomes more apparent as time goes on. Do you think people
0: overall lost or gained belief during the pandemic because they couldn't go to church? Some people, it makes a difference going to the actual church and being inside there, and I think it strengthens their the spirit of who they are as a person. Like they're actually in the physical place. They can experience the mass
1: themselves. So I think I think one thing that that really helped people was um, a lot of a lot of people found a lot of free time on their hands. And when a lot of people found a lot of free time in their hands, they began to read the Bible more. So I know some people who read the Bible for the first time and they began to have a real genuine kind of conversion. By conversion I mean not that, you know, they were not Christian before, but that there was a true change of heart towards Jesus, towards Jesus Christ, yeah? And they see that conversion kind of took place as they met the person of Jesus, as they read the Gospels, as they read the Bible. They began to meet the person of Jesus, and they began to grow deeper and deeper in their faith. Before, everyone was so distracted by, by the different things of life, right? Yeah, whether it's work, whether it's money, whether it's success, whether it's school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all those things. But now that so many people have so many, find so much time on their hands, Nothing, you know, they don't have to do with it. They're like, hey, let me let me figure out why, why it is that Jesus says I should not fear. Why it is that, what it is that Jesus promises me? Right. If I am a Christian and I claim to be a Christian, I should know more about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? And that that's what I think really helped people in the long run. And I've seen countless number of people kind of begin to read the Bible for the first time and get deeper into their faith. It seems like.
0: I mean, it's obvious. Anybody that knows scripture, whether they believe or not, or believe something else, scripture really is endless in what it provides and how people can interpret it for a positive thing and how to improve their life overall, especially in a time like last year when a lot of people were just really doubtful of how things were going to go. I mean, last year when the virus struck, it was just a society-changing thing that so many people are looking where to turn to, who to turn to, how to turn to it, it seemed obvious to me that like the churches probably shouldn't have been closed down right away because, I mean, granted, you could close everything down, but people need to be by people. And to be by people, you need to experience what God offers you. And I mean, you could get that through scripture and I'm not debating at all. Like, I think it's a great thing. A lot of people had the time to really read it, but it's great to talk about with other people as well. I think the community aspect of people not being around each other had a detrimental effect on other people losing out on what they believed.
1: I think definitely, right, so there were, as many as as much as there were people who grew in their faith, there were a great number of people who also kind of maybe um, became very doubtful, became very anxious, became, you know, whatever the mental health effects would have been from being in isolation for so long. And God willing, as time goes on, you know, I've seen... A lot of people kind of come out of that slump and and begin to to find their faith again. You know, as they begin to reemerge into society and things, right? We can say that that the churches should not have been closed down in the first place and things like that. You know, speaking from retrospect. But at the same time, when the uh, when the coronavirus first happened, again nobody nobody knew what was going on. It was very it was there was a lot of unknowns in the world, right?
0: I was one of those people.
1: Yeah. So it was a great deal of unknowns and and we didn't know how to handle it, and so we. Governments and churches and things like that reacted the way that they that they should have in, in a very responsible manner, and they closed down things just for the sake of others until they figure out more. Even to this day, we're not quite sure. You know, they're not quite sure as like how long the antibodies last. They're not quite sure as the vaccines are working. I think just the other day, the the uh, CEO of Pfizer said each year you're gonna have to get a booster shot and things like that. And so there's yeah. A, there's yeah, there's a great deal of of unknowns about what this 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 virus is and what it what it entails exactly.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, some places you look at. I mean, people are basically just saying to hell with it. Like, not saying around you because you're a priest, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> but to hell with it. Like, I'm just going to go out. I'm going out to eat. I got to take a risk because I live on earth and living on earth has a risk in it. Yeah. It's almost like people saying I have to be brave again because I'm a human being and God instills all of us with bravery and I have to be brave. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah, and that's, that's what's ultimately going to happen, right? It's going to happen that... That people are, are going to want to kind of again reemerge into society. They're going to want to come back. They're going to want to do the things that they've been doing, going out to eat, hanging out with friends, you know, seeing uh, family members, friends, all these things. Yeah. So they're going to want uh, again to to resume life as normal as quickly as possible. And that's what and that's what these things offer, right? Vaccines and and um, uh, you know people kind of uh, getting the antibodies. Either you were sick before, you you had the vaccine, or or you're just kind of waiting it out till you get the vaccine in general. But, but yeah, but I think life is, is slowly moving towards a pace of normalcy again.
0: I'll tell you one thing I noticed, though, with what you were talking about, how a lot of people really rediscovered the faith or discovered it for the first time, not just brought up in it through their family and just mm-hmm. went to church casually or on a holiday, like some people do, and that's it, is that some people, with how much adversity there was last year when the virus struck people almost found the faith and said this is something that like it's adversity i need to go through it i can go through it and i'm going to come out a stronger person because of it It really is just amazing how scripture was able to provide that for people
1: it brings it brings a lot of comfort to people right because it's it's fulton sheen says it's it's archbishop fulton sheen says it's it's the uh it's the it's god it's the greatest love story ever written the gospels right When you read the Bible, it's the greatest love story ever written because God gives himself completely to us, and he gives us eternal life. If we have eternal life, we realize, hey, this world is is kind of just a stepping stone. We pass through this world, and we go on to the next, right? Death is not the end, but only the beginning of Jesus. And so we know that, that, that Jesus offers us these words of eternal life, you know, and if we follow him, he promises everything. He says, there are many rooms in my father's house, and I have gone to prepare. It's a very personal love. It's very personal. God calls, you know, God, God reveals himself as a father to us, right? And because he reveals himself as a father to us, it's, it's made abundantly clear that the father, if you look at any father, no father will give, you know, his children terrible things, right? Mm-hmm. He always wants the best for his children. In the same way, God acts as a father, and he always wants what's best for his children, and he always works towards that good to providing his children with the best
0: you mean the best, define the best, because some people have different interpretations and definitions of so that. So he gives, us,
1: he gives us more than we can ever imagine when he gives us eternal life, Yeah, when he gives us eternal life with him. When he gives us this, when he frees us from sin, from the slavery of sin, which we notice is all around us in the world, he frees us from that sin and he allows us to go forward. He allows us to break free from that sin and to go forward towards him and to walk along with him in the path. Yeah. Walk yeah. along with him in the path towards eternal life.
0: To me, you don't have to agree with me, or maybe you could change my mind right now, honestly. I think the best is also delivering some adversity through one's life because different people go through different things. As you and I have talked about privately before, look, some things are just harder for some people to go through, and the only way to become a stronger person is that you have to continue to go through it. Right.
1: But as a, as a father, what God wants to do, God wants to do is to, as you go through adversities, as you go through challenges, through a life, through trials— He never promises us a life without problems. That's not what he promises us, Mm -hmm. right? Instead, through our problems, through our adversities, through our challenges, through the trials that we face, it's a learning experience, right? Because he wants us somehow to learn from these experiences, to go forward from them, and to become a stronger man or woman because of them.
0: That I agree with because I think a lot of people that went through what they went through, or even now kind of transitioning from like pandemic to post-pandemic life, there's like a future version that a lot of people see and they realize this is the person I want to be and I have to be that person. To get to be that per- future person I want to be, I have to go through this. And there's almost like a gratefulness and the struggle at the end. Like, I'm glad I went through it. It made me the person who I am now. Oh,
1: yeah. At the time when you're going through trials and struggles, it might be impossible to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But once some time passes, once we go through that challenge, once we go through that trial... When we get when we go a little closer towards the end of the road, a little closer towards the end of that trial, then we begin to see the light. Then we begin to look back and say, that's how God was working in my life. Right? God never leaves our side. In all things, he works in all, at all times in our life, as long as we allow him to, as long as we acknowledge his presence. Yeah. I was thinking a
0: while ago to myself privately about, what is it about people that just tell the individual, like, look, what you're going through, everybody goes through it. It's not that different. Or, you know, there are those people who are saying, like, I have my own struggles too. And this is what it is. And it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I don't know how one can even measure someone else's struggles. You know what I mean? I some think
1: I think everyone has different temperaments, right? Yeah. I think when everyone has different temperaments, some people just kind of shrug out problems. Well, it's, you know, the grand scheme of life, it's not that big of a deal. For some people, they make, you know, smaller deals, bigger deals than they need to be. Some people actually go through, you know, uh, life struggles. And, and depending on who you're going to be speaking to, everyone has different temperaments. Everyone tries to kind of analyze things in a, in a different subjective way, right? Mm-hmm. So we analyze things in a different subjective way. Everyone's going to have different, you know, different opinions as to how, how you should handle problems, how you should build the wheel, right? Yeah. So we are going to say, you know, you build a, a square wheel, and some are going to say you build a round wheel, right? And so it just depends on who you're talking to. hmm
0: Yeah.
1: It is interesting,
0: though, because, I mean, over the last year – pandemic, seeing how everybody just collectively just said, all right, we're all going to go this way. And that's it. And nobody can even deviate exactly. even a little bit right. from what everyone else is saying. And if you do a little bit, we're going to completely ostracize. You And know, it's like some people are just not going to do that. And they have a legitimate reason why. It's like, you know, they have to operate a business, provide for their family, or just do things for themselves only.
1: Again, it, it was awkward because... Nobody knew much about it. And so the more they knew about, about it, the more they knew much about it, the more they were finding out about it, the more they were finding out how, how quickly it spread, right? So mm-hmm. like just like wildfire, it spreads across. I think within a couple of months, it spread from China. to like the rest of the world, right? Um, and it only begins in like just a few individuals, and it just, just absolutely yeah, explodes, right? So again, it becomes, an, it becomes an interesting situation where not much is known about it. The only thing they know what to do is like, hey, for now, just everyone stay home. Until we figure out what's going on here, I mean, I'll
0: tell you a funny story. I just thought of right now. This was maybe a month ago. I walked inside of a Starbucks, and I completely forgot to put my mask on. And I'm standing in line. The barista is like, "Hey, you can't come inside without a mask." And I didn't realize it until like as I'm raising my hand up, and I'm thinking, "Oh damn, I don't have a mask on." Yeah. And I was like, "All right, well, I'm just gonna be in and out. Can I just buy my drink?" And she's like, "No." have to have a mask on i was like all right well do you guys sell masks she's like no and i'm like damn all right well (laughs) let me get a grande (laughs) i (laughs) smoke it's a shot of espresso (laughs) (laughs) no yeah i haven't haven't seen quite a few times
1: because i just i forget things in general in general I, i i forget yeah i forget a lot of things why if I don't write things down, I'll never, I'll never remember it.
0: I ended up going back to my car and getting the mask on. Good. <laughs> Good. I, I valued that mocha pretty badly yeah. <laughs> in the moment, yeah. but it did just seem weird, like walk into a place and all of a sudden you have ten people just almost like uh, is ostracizing the right word or basically giving you scrutiny right away, like saying like, "Hey, the rest of us are in here without a mask or with a mask on, and you're without one. You need to put one on." Mm-hmm. A, I mean, it goes back to, like, what you and I have talked about privately before, like, you know, the individual versus the collective. You know, should everybody dictate what the individual talks about or discuss, discusses or their own behavior, really? And I mean, I think as people become more comfortable with things again, the autonomy of the individual needs to come back. People just need to do what they want to do on their own individual basis. Would you agree with that?
1: I think when, when it comes time for, uh, for example, in dealing with this, this particular situation of the coronavirus, it, 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 needs a collective, um, it needs a collective response, right? Society as a whole has to kind of come together to figure out what to do. The individual, it's, it's hard for the individual to just by himself, um, you know, solve this, this massive societal mm-hmm. problem, right? So when there's a societal problem, it, it sometimes requires a collective effort of, hey everyone wearing a mask, everyone, everyone kind of just kind of staying apart from each other. If you're sick and you know you're sick, kind of just you know stay away from from other people. And this this is a concept that's that's kind of ha- it's very commonplace in, for example, Asian cultures where where you will see people using masks quite often when they get sick because it's for the well-being of others. So they they're thinking of the good of the collective whole. Um, as in today's society, I think that's. That's what has to happen is everyone has to kind of care for the collective whole and uh, you know, wear a mask and wash your hands and hygiene and social distancing and all that good stuff, right?
0: And I think we'll
1: come to a time when, at the end of the tunnel, we can finally see the light. yeah? Yeah. yeah.
0: It did bother me, though, like how willing people were to give up their freedom last year so quickly for something like that.
1: Again, I think it's collectively speaking. I think people are willing to. Uh, they're willing to not, not necessarily give it the freedom. It depends how you look at it on, the, on the political spectrum, right? And and again, to drag politics into something like the coronavirus, I think is is something that you know I, I think we've seen the, the, the fruits of. It doesn't work too well. Yeah. So for something like an ongoing health, you know, pandemic, you need you need certain uh, you need to kind of you need, in a sense I don't want to use the word bipartisan, but you need kind of both sides to kind of say, hey, this is what we need to do. Let's kind of stem the uh, this curve while we can, and work together on this, right? Unfortunately, it becomes kind of like, it becomes a, a political. I mean, it didn't even become thing, political
0: right? right away. I remember last year when it started, seeing on social media, everybody was just like, we're all in this together. We got to do what we can. This is a set amount of time to do what we can. Then all of a sudden, just politics just crept its ugly way in, and everybody just started turning which on is, each other.
1: Which is going to happen naturally, right? You know, I, I don't think too much about it. I just think, like, hey, you know, for, for, the, sake, for the sake of this, this you know, for however much time we have left with this pandemic, just just do the things you're supposed to do, you know, the mask and, and the, uh, the washing of the hands and, and you know, yeah, social distancing, all that good stuff. And by the end of it, I think we'll, we'll see a way out, right, without dragging politics into it. Yeah. And I think just the way, just to look at it from more of a practical way, pragmatic way, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, once this pandemic's over... I'm just going to walk into a place without a mask on, just start tasting the air, just, just, just bring on the virus. It's not going to bother me at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I'm not going to let anybody just say anything to me and just get out the way and let me do what I want to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just hope people can still believe post pandemic with, you know, how God helped them get through the tough time, honestly. Um, I think as things open up again, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I think as things open up again, people might turn aside Scripture a little bit just for the sake of going to live a more normal life again, be on their phone and technology, going out more. Do you
1: see that happening? Yeah, naturally it's going to happen. Naturally, as, as time goes on, people are going to, you know, they're going to kind of just, this always happens, right? To have biblical history, it always happens. Moses brings the the uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. He saves them, and within you know a short while, they o- they already have forgotten about God, right? This this always happens, and it's it's not it's not any different today, right? People are going to have other distractions in life, and while they once found God, they they might not in a sense lose their faith, but they might be distracted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Pope John Paul II makes the comment that material the West is particularly the, the poorest area because. There is so much materialism, and people forget about God and who God is. And, and because they're so distracted by just the things they have, the things they accumulate, and the more you accumulate things, the more, the more you you kind of uh, you get this this feeling of independence, right? And you don't you don't necessarily need God. I attribute all of my successes to me, and not to God. And so naturally, this is just kind of uh, it's what happens. This is just the natural progression of things. I you know I pray that that people still maintain the faith. They still at least go to church to give God. To give Christ at least an hour a week of prayer. At least. It's all he's asking for is at least just kind of just to come visit him in the Eucharist. Just to come visit him in the sacrament. Just to come visit him in the Catholic Church.
0: Well yeah, because that's the individual's choice right there to do it if they want. I, I agree 100% with yeah. you. Like I, I think as things open back up again, people probably need to keep their faith as strong as possible right. because yeah. you're just going to create a loop for yourself all over again and just go back to your routine and wonder months after the pandemic, like, man, all of a sudden I feel not as whole on the inside as I once did yeah. through a terrible time, too. Yeah. It's ironic, though, that, like, the less things people can do, the stronger on the inside they became because of faith. Yeah.
1: You see there's a uh, Fulton Sheen, again, talks about this, Bishop Fulton Sheen, talks about this. He says there's a God-sized hole in every person, God-sized hole in their heart that can only only be satisfied once that, that heart finds god however a society because it's, it's lost god it tries to fill those things with with other material things right it says like if i get a job if i get just get this job i'll be happier if i just do this in life i'll be happier if i just just you know get get this car this house this much money life will be all set and i'll be more than good however fulton sheen comments you know it's ultimately empty once you get this much money you always naturally want more. Mm-hmm. Once you get this house, you're automatically going to look to the next house. Once you get, you know, this car, you're going to want you look at other cars as well. The heart is never satiated, is never fulfilled until it finds God. Once it finds God, it finds everything it's been longing for. And so people oftentimes try to, uh, you know, they try to kind of, kind of look the other way. They try to kind of get distracted by other things, by those things of life, whatever it might be, because they're more tangible, because... They bring immediate pleasure because they bring all these these things the flesh want, right? The flesh wants these things. The body naturally wants these things. And, the, you know, there's always a constant battle between the, the spirit and the flesh, right? It almost seems like there is
0: that inherent risk that freedom has that you could lose who you are as a person just for the sake of material items and objects. Mm-hmm. And with freedom comes, you know, a person's responsibility to stay dedicated to what they were in the first place. And people can lose track of that pretty easily. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not. That freedom. That there is an inherent risk that people will just deviate away from what they are originally supposed to do or what they wanted to do. It's like,
1: which you is know. basically, basically Catholicism. In a nutshell, right? If we didn't, sin, <laughs> if we didn't yeah. sin, we wouldn't, if we didn't sin, we would have no need of Jesus. Right. But because yeah. we do sin because we do stray away from God. God tries to bring us back. Brings us back through means of the good shepherd, through yeah. means of Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah, Jesus Christ, the one who brings us back into the fold, and He's the one who takes away our sin, who leads us in the way of righteousness, right? Who leads us to the way to God, um, and so that's that's the ultimate message of, of Catholicism, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I would, I just thought about it right now as as things open back up, and it wouldn't surprise me to see some friendships that many people that you and I don't know, or just in general. People just won't do some of the things that they used to with the people they were doing before because of faith and the individual choices that they're going to make to stay dedicated to faith. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll get made fun of for a little bit like any, or any other person usually does whenever they start to deviate away from their group. But ultimately there is like a, uh, there's a reward in that and that person becomes more whole as they discover themselves again through God. There's something really remarkable about freedom and the person decides to make the right choice with that freedom. There, there's, like, a reward. There. You just can't measure it with a material item or a dollar amount. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I think again, like, this is nothing new, right? Jesus himself, um, he predicts this. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hates me first. It hated me first. Right? Mm-hmm. If you just kind of become, if you, once you become a follower of Jesus, there might be some people who just don't like you because of it. So Jesus kind of predicted it himself as well.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm just worried that once things open back up, people are just gonna go right back to normal, which I th- I want to go right back to normal, but I think when it comes to people wanting to be spiritually sound again, people might just drop it very quickly. I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. But with that being said it's up to the person themselves. It really is.
1: It's a possibility. But I think, I think again, thank God people have made, a, a, at least they've made a spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. They've met the person of Jesus Christ. They understand that, hey, if they ever, if in life, let's say, you know, um, let's say, God forbid, they do fall from the faith, but they realize, hey, during this time of coronavirus, I felt this much consolation by meeting the person of Jesus Christ. And God willing, in the future, they can come back to that. They can come back to those memories and saying, hey, I met who Jesus was. And I was able to build a relationship with them, and that's that's I think the uh, you know the positives that if we can say that the positives that they came out of this, if they do, God forbid, lose their faith.
0: Yeah, I I hope not. I mean, I'll tell you what: there are times during the pandemic I thought to myself, I really just hope a lot of people don't go down a dark path mentally for themselves and find a, a bright path for themselves. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people did go down that dark path, and it was just you look back now at the numbers of people that you know that killed themselves and did other things as well just to find an escape and it's almost like once you try to do those things you know more drug usage more alcohol consumption it was almost just like you're withering your own spirit on the inside you, you know you have to free your spirit and you don't free your spirit by consuming things that dwindle your spirit on the
1: inside of who you are and unfortunately it's it's always been it's always been a problem in society right but now, because of the, uh, you know, the virus, it's been in isolation. It's only been kind of magnified times ten, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this magnification is why made it's made the mental health crisis, I think, even worse, just as bad as, I think, as, as the coronavirus, right? And that's the thing. So we're trying to balance a scale here that just is going out of control. If you do more isolation, then people kind of uh, again they try to find their escapes through drugs, through different means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, But in reality, you you find out at the end of the day, none of it is worth it. The only thing that's worth it at the end of the day, right, is people try to find themselves. They try to find who they are. They try to find um, an escape through drugs, through alcohol, through different means. All you need in the end is Jesus. And Jesus tells you who you are. He gives you an identity. He says you are a child of God. You are a child of the Father. And that, that is what ultimately matters, right? We don't need to look at horoscopes or... Or all those crazy nonsense things that that happen nowadays, right? All these things are just nonsense. At the end of the day, it's Jesus. All you need is Jesus, and he shows you the way, the truth, and the life. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I agree with you with everything about that. And to even take it a step further, I mean, if somebody decided to just stop doing drugs or stop consuming alcohol along with their friends, you know, that were going on ahead with it, right, worded that wrong, but you know, they didn't stop using that stuff. And one person did. And there is something, like, really unique about seeing some people, how they came out of the pandemic as just completely different individuals themselves because of the choices that they made to just follow faith, follow God, read scripture. Yeah. There, there really is just some – you can't measure, like, spiritual freedom. You just can't. Definitely. There, There's no measurement to it, no dollar amount, no material item. And, I mean – I think when people look back a couple years now at the pandemic and say, like, who really did, like, come out ahead, not in terms of, like, vaccine rollouts and number of deaths, like, who really came out ahead, like, during such a turbulent time? It was the people that really, like, decided to, like, keep the faith, rediscover their faith, and just trek ahead and go through it. I mean, those are the people, like couple years from now, everybody's going to look and say like, man, like I wish I had followed those people right now, but it's not too late for me to go ahead with it and start now. It's okay. never too late to start. Good, yeah. There, there really is just something about the philosophy of belief that belief just happens with some people. You can't explain it. It just, it really is like a true feeling. Like mm-hmm. to see people just truly change their entire demeanor, start to finish. Once they start believing it's, it's astounding
1: you know i think um, i think the danger becomes to see the danger we always have to watch out for is to see christianity as just a, it's more than just a way of life it's more than just a philosophy right jesus said some great things and so did other other philosophers other um, you know other great people other great leaders throughout history they all said some great things however there's a difference between jesus christ and all the rest of them right it's that jesus christ rose from the dead if it wasn't for easter i probably i probably wouldn't be what i'm doing i probably wouldn't be here today i wouldn't be talking about any of these things we wouldn't probably wouldn't be would have talk- Yeah, we wouldn't talk about-, <laughs> we would about Christianity in general, right? Because Jesus would have been just another guy who died, right? He yeah. might have said some amazing things. Maybe he you know, was just a prophet, but then what happens? He's more than a prophet. He is God incarnate who raises from the dead. Uh, and that, that's what changes our whole worldview, is that there is a life beyond the tomb. There's a life beyond the grave. There's a life uh, beyond this one, that death is only the beginning. And that's what brings faith and hope to all people, right? And again, like you said, you can't measure the this, uh, this spiritual advancement, but, but our whole life is kind of a, a Christian hope that looks beyond this world. It looks towards the promise of Jesus that says that beyond, uh, you know, beyond the grave, I have set up a room for you in my Father's house. And that's what we take hope in. That's what we take faith in. And
0: There's a comfort in that, really. I, as a lot of people just were so scared about, the last year, and even life ahead, life itself just makes pe- people really like weary of like what happens when it's like finally lights out.
1: Death, death in general, throughout all of human history, has been the most. Uh, it's been the topic that almost all human, almost all of human history, has been just just very much so, uh, absolutely just scared about. Right, mm-hmm. it's the biggest fear of humanity. It's the biggest fear of, for example, the the Greek philosophers who just didn't understand death. None of them did, right? Um, the Jews had a concept for called Sheol or, or Hades, and where Hades was more the Greek concept, Sheol was more the Jewish concept, where you just kind of live in this shadowy spiritual realm that doesn't quite make sense. Um, and so nobody really knew knew what happened when you died, right? And so here's Jesus who kind of assuages those. He kind of assuages those fears. He, he alleviates the fear of man, that greatest fear they feel. They feel. And he, uh, he comforts them, right, by saying, hey, death is not, is not the end, but only the beginning of eternal life, if only you believe in me, right? Yeah.
0: I just thought of it right now that do you think more people should question belief analytically to understand it, to maybe help more people believe? Yeah. Or do you think more people should just accept belief as what it is and just roll with it? It's a two-part question, is, but, I, but, yeah. I, but, but I ask that because I think it's like some people do experience that belief. Maybe they don't share it. They're just more of a private person. But I think more people need to hear about it just to improve themselves as well. But you need to ask the right questions of like the why, the how, moving forward. How do you maintain that belief?
1: When you look at the, uh, the Catholic philosophers, they, throughout all, all of you know, church history, they really try starting with the church fathers who were in the first 500 years of Christianity. They were the first bishops who kind of made up the church. Um, and so they led the church in those first 500 years after Christ. They knew the, you know, the apostles and their teaching very well because they were closest in proximity to them. You're talking timeline proximity. Okay. Timeline proximity, as well as those first church fathers who came right after the apostles, right? Mm-hmm. So they were somehow instructed, and, and through apostolic uh, succession, they were able to pass down the teachings to one another, right? They, and their writings, quite, you know, they, they'll kind of provide defenses or apologetics is what we call it in the, uh, the Catholic world to questions or objections to the faith. So whether or not they're dealing with, with church members in their own church or whether or not they're dealing with, uh, you know, pagans or, say, um, other religious groups, and they want to kind of defend the faith, right? And so there's a rich history throughout the, the church the church, that dedicates itself to apologetics, to defending and explaining the faith, right? St. Thomas Aquinas, who in the 12th century, he compiles his uh, Summa Theologia, where he tries to ask as many questions about the faith as possible, and he tries to answer them. Yeah. So here he is in the streets of Paris, and he, he were, back in, in the 12th century, was a theological center for all these questions. He would pose these questions in front of a large crowd of, of theologically trained students, and he would pose these questions and, and people would try to answer them. They try to provide objections. There would be a devil's advocate who would go against him, right? And the next and the day would end after he's posed all these questions. He'd come back the next day and Saint Thomas Aquinas would give his own answers to him, right? So it's 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 a very natural thing to question the faith. Saint John Paul II says that faith and reason go together like two birds like two sorry, two birds like two wings Sorry, I've had much coffee today. Huh? It's all good. Like, uh, yeah, and so and so very naturally, faith and reason go hand in hand. Right? There'll be nothing that contradicts the other. Mm-hmm. And so Catholicism is very much so a religion, again, of faith and reason, and it almost encourages a person to question. But when you question, make sure you look up the right resources. Make sure you're talking to the right people. Right? Um, and there are others who kind of blindly accept the faith, not blindly, but I say they have a more simple faith, and that's okay too. Right? I think God gives that grace to some people to kind of just accept what's, what's what the church teaches and to go along with life. And there's nothing wrong with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I think um, yeah, you, you see both ends of the spectrum in church and some minds are naturally more inquisitive, some minds naturally are not more inquisitive, and that's alright.
0: I'm still trying to make it onto that spectrum.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um I agree with you. Some yeah, people
1: both sides are beautiful, yeah? The simple faith as well as the more inquisitive faith.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean do you have a favorite piece of scripture that you look to? Mm. I mean being as well read as you are, I mean there's gotta be one that stands out. Yeah,
1: so the one the one I actually prayed with this morning is John fifteen. I am the vine and you are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. You can do nothing apart from the vine. Jesus Christ has to be that vine that I am attached to in order to produce any fruits at all. At all. Yeah. If I'm doing it all in my own accord, I can't expect to produce anything. But if I do it with Jesus, if my foundation is Jesus, if, if what I seek, the power that, that I draw from within is from Jesus, I can do all things. Yeah. Because you're not alone. Yeah. John 15 I, is one of my favorites.
0: I'm going to look that up and read it myself. Beautiful. There there just seems to be something really unique about the Bible, how it's lasted as long as it has. And I think people really do, like, when they're down in the dumps and just have to, like, go somewhere. I I wish church itself was, like, the more first option people go to. I think it needs to be, but it's usually the last option. In in your opinion, I know you don't speak for everybody, or I'm just going to ask, like, what do you think – would be an improvement to try and get church to be the first option for people again when they're going through a tough time?
1: It's difficult. We can only do so much, right? Um, I mean, we're always available, always, right? And so whenever they want, they can drop by the church and, and you know, talk to a priest, talk to, to somebody at the church, and, and get help in that way. The problem becomes is that naturally I think we moved, we moved away from a Christian society so we live in a post-Christian society where a lot of people just just don't know their faith anymore. Yeah, don't know their faith and and are just uninterested to look look into it. Right, the previous to the 1960s, everyone in Western the Western world we're talking especially, about Western societies, yeah, yeah. Western world especially, people would you know everyone had catechism classes. Everyone was taught by nuns. Everyone was, and so everyone knew it. Everyone had their Sunday school, or uh, you know, yeah, and so they everyone would everyone would learn the faith, right? Mm-hmm. So the point where like, they grew up, everyone was like, oh, I memorized. The Baltimore Catechism, which was an older catechism and things like that, and, and everyone had this robust Catholic faith, even though sometimes they, they even if they fell out of faith at times, they still had enough knowledge there to remember these things. We're living in just in a different world nowadays, right? Where instead of, for example, Jesus Christ being being elevated and looked upon as, as an example, now it's it's all these these different stars and people in Hollywood and things like that, right? And everything is kind of Yeah, in your armchair yeah, activists. Yeah, yeah. So everything everything is kind of it's, it looks away from Jesus. Yeah. It looks to, to other social figures, to other celebrities instead of, of Christ. And that's just the just sad reality of the world, but it's the way the world's going right now, right?
0: Yeah, it really bothered me. I remember seeing, I forgot who it was, it was some celebrity, some years ago on YouTube. I just randomly clicked on the clip because we all know how the YouTube algorithms work. Where this person was saying, I think it was actually Oprah, great example but <laughs> where she was saying there is your truth and I remember thinking like no there's not your truth it's like even the Bible says like I am the truth yeah and, but it's like now all of a sudden like truth has just become relative in today's society and I think as became as people became less religious and less faithful and less in tune with their spirit truth just became a relative all of a sudden and just more so it was like, saying, like, this is what I believe, and this is the truth for me. And it's like, no, that's your opinion. There's the truth in your opinion. And I think as people, like, start to, like, go more and more into that, I'm worried that people are going to lose even more grounding in the faith.
1: Yeah, so it's something that's that's a great, uh, I think the greatest Catholic philosopher and theologian to be alive today is... uh, Cardinal, or rather Pope Benedict XVI, then known as Cardinal Ratzinger, But he started writing from, uh, from a young age, during his days as a priest, and even as a cardinal, and then into his, his uh, papacy. But he writes about how, when he was a cardinal, about this thing called the dictatorship of relativism, right? Mm-hmm. And he says these this, these are the ideas that are permeating society in general, especially Western society. You have your truth, I have my truth. As long as it doesn't hurt nobody, we're fine. Yeah. Problem is you can't have, um, you can't have a, you can't have two truths. You can't have a subjective truth, right? Subjective meaning comes from my own. It's got to be objective meaning. There's a single truth. Yeah. Jesus Christ tells us, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Right. Yeah. Not I am a way, a truth, a life. No. I am the way, the truth, the life, and He means it by. Unless you come through Him, you cannot you cannot come to the Father. There's no other way except through Him, right? And that's what He He stresses in the Gospel, and that's. That's what we have to kind of take take it as words as Christians, as followers of Christ, right? yeah As his disciples, we're, we're students of Jesus, and we have to always be following his footsteps and his words, right? And so Pope Benedict warns us that if you fall into this dictator, dictatorship of relativism, there's more than, you know. I mean, yeah, more, we both uh, know, like, yeah. what direction yeah. that could yeah.
0: lead because with relativism comes just people's feelings, and all of a sudden their feelings just become truth, and yeah. it's almost like here I am, here's the more mad I am, which means the more justified I am and the more justified I feel and not know, this is the truth right here. And it's like, no, I just don't agree with it because just because you're mad just doesn't mean you're right. Right. It, if more people knew that and realized, like, I just need to accept things, which is would be the truth that once you figure out everything, whether it's through scripture or just talking to people in general, all of a sudden, like relativism, Will just like go down the by the wayside, but that's a really hard battle to fight right there because it's just taking over everything right yeah. now. Yeah,
1: and unfortunately, that's just it's just the way it's going to to progress in Western society. It seems right. Um, just this, just this overwhelming amount of relativism. It's going to happen. It's already happening. And so, how do we as a church move forward in this this time of of relativism? Will be a challenge for them, but we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. By the grace of God, God never. God never allows His church to, uh, uh, you know, to suffer. Right? He always looks out for His church. He always guides His church with the Holy Spirit. That that is what that's what we look forward to. In the future.
0: I think, in a way, you may be saying, once things get really bad with relativism and it goes everywhere, it basically has reached any every person. That's when all of a sudden things will turn around and people start saying, "We need to find the truth because we're all just infighting now." There's no foundation for ourselves, nothing. We have, we have to find the truth again. It, it's almost like uh, the saying, you know, those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening almost, until right when it happened, and then everybody has to basically revert back to, I don't want to use the word conservative in like the partisan way, but like more conserve, like conserve like what you know, conserve what it is that needs to be the truth again, and then just start moving forward all over Yeah, then.
1: again i'm confident that, that the holy spirit is leading the church and that he knows he knows where he's leading the church and and again, he'll never see it suffer um, you know the gates of hell jesus says shall not prevail against the church right uh, and so the answer to everything just becomes you know jesus is the way the truth and the life and a lot of authors for example even in the late 20th century have come to this realization a lot of them ended up being atheist or agnostic. Yeah, ended up fighting Christ in their life, finding the church as the truth, and uh, became the, its great their greatest supporters. Right, mm-hmm. uh, G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, uh, Peter Crave, who I think was was a Methodist and came to the church. All these different authors, right, and, um, and great thinkers that came into the church on a res- as a result of their chips just thumb and their. For example, a lot of them were great philosophers. Philosophical, philosophical thinkers, such as Peter Kreeft. A lot of them were very uh, were deep into evangelicalism and their, their Protestant roots, such as Scott Hahn. Um, and the list goes on and on and on, right? But once, once you begin to see the, 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 the church as kind of like that organization that was started by Jesus Christ, yeah, and the truth is contained within it, and that everything the church says is not is always for the, uh, uh, the good of man, it's always it's actually somehow looking out for the good of man and not just restricting our freedoms. Mm-hmm. Then I think people begin to see like, huh, they begin to see the church in a new light that they never saw it in before. Cuz today everyone wants to be autonomous, right? Everybody wants yeah. everybody wants their own thing, everyone wants autonomy, everyone wants complete autonomy. And and that's what western society preaches, right? So the minute you have a religious authority that that tells you what to do, no one's a fan of that. They see it as a restriction on their autonomy, right? A str- restriction on their autonomy, their freedom. They struggle to to cope with it. right? Um, So the minute they they find something they disagree with the church, they can't understand it, they walk away. But the church, as our mother, knows how to look out for us. Knows that, hey, this is what's best in life for you. This is how you can live in complete freedom. You might not like it because you might want to do something else, but in reality, this is what's going to lead you to ultimate freedom. This is what's going to lead you to God. Nothing else in this world can satisfy you. Only Christ that is what matters in the end.
0: I wish that was ending. No, that's a hell of a way to end. <laughs> go out on <Yeah>, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, you mentioned C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton. There are, like, there's only one individual I can think of right now who is basically was the person responsible for the moral relativism we see now and, like, the prior- priority of the group the collective above the individual is John Rawls. I don't know if you ever read his book, A Theory of Justice. Mm. It's I've long heard it. I've it's heard of it, yeah. yeah, it's long and it's very dense mm-hmm. and very well written, but I just can't help but think throughout like portions of it is like, man, he really has no problem taking away the individual's outlook on freedom for the collective good of everybody else. Where it's like if people just think and it goes back to what you were saying. Like it's very restrictive, and the freedoms. Generals was, he was a Christian. He was. Yeah, he was actually in a- seminary yeah. at Princeton, and then um, when he went and fought in World War II, he uh, became an atheist. I believe it was Battle of the Philippines or Iwo Jima. I can't remember which one, but he was on the battlefield, and it was those moments on the battlefield is what changed his mind about it. It just adversity affects everybody differently, but. I think now in today's day, a lot of people think church restrictions, no freedom. It's like, no, there's a lot of freedom. There's just rules that you have to go by. But once you abide by those rules, there is a whole amount of choices one could make with how they want to live their life. And the way you want to live it is the way probably God intends to do it. As long as you just follow the rules and keep the faith and keep doing what you can do, which is to, like, improve yourself, improve your mind. People don't associate freedom and the values of it and the individual with church. It's weird. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but, like, how people view, like, church and, like, the faith as, like, almost like the collective, right? Where it's like, no, you can actually do what you want in your life. You just, if you want to believe, there's there's the rules at hand. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. Most people know the Ten Commandments. These days, I don't know about everybody, but 20 years ago, everybody knew the Ten Commandments. But... Follow those ten commandments, and you can live a truly great life as long as you follow follow what you want to do. There's a, a writer in the
1: uh, there's a writer in the uh, the English in England who in the early 1900s um, converted to Catholicism. At first, he was an, an agnostic, then a, uh, a Unitarian, and then Church of England, and later on, he became a Catholic. But he writes, G, and this is G.K. Chesterton, right? He writes, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but he writes that. Greatness of the Ten Commandments is that it's much easier to list those things that you can't do than the things that you can do, right? Because the things that you can do far outnumber the things that you can't do. So here's the Ten Commandments, right, listed out for you. Here's what you can't do, but the things you can do are way greater, right? So I think when we look at that like that, you just live in this freedom that, like, hey, don't do these things because these things lead to the death of the soul. Mm -hmm. Whenever we sin, we turn away from God, we turn our backs on to God, and and we say, hey, Lord, I I know what's better for me than you do for me. I know what's going to make me happy in my life. You have no idea what's going to make me happy in life. We turn our backs on him in sin, right? God never turns his backs on us. It's we who turn our backs on him. And so when we walk away from God, we realize that these things of of the world that we want, that God says we can't have, only bring death to the soul,
0: right? Only bring death.
1: We never feel truly happy until we go back to him, until we reconcile with him and go back to him. Yeah.
0: More people need to reconcile with them, I think. Right and now, and that's what
1: I think as a priest. The uh, the greatness of confession, right? Confession, I think, has been it's been absolutely beautiful. One of my favorite, it's probably one of my favorite parts as a priest. Um, I know I'm just a young priest, maybe nine months in, but just seeing how much it is that that God's mercy is working in the life of people, even though they've been away from the church, even though they've been away from God, been away from Christ. They come back, and they they really just want this forgiveness. They want to repair and restore the relationship with God. God's mercy really works in all of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, earlier in our conversation, I said some people, when they rediscovered their faith and or discovered it for the first time, I would look at some people that I know went through that, and I know it's that person, but they look like a completely different person. A complete 180 of, like, standing tall, standing strong, yep. just taking life on and not being afraid of it anymore. It goes back to, you know, Three simple words in Scripture: "Be not afraid."
1: It said boldness, right? Yeah, yeah. And it happens repeatedly throughout the Bible. Jesus coming out to us, saying, "Do not be afraid." Do not be afraid. Even in the Old Testament, "Do not be afraid." Do not be afraid. Countless times, God says it, and God means it. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Live in this freedom. Live in this freedom that I have given you. Yeah.
0: I guess we'll have to see later on, like, you know, how people accept fear and
1: freedom. But, really, I think, think we're getting to the point where the pandemic is kind of you kind know, of slowing down, and I think people will slowly begin to remerge into society, and society will look much as like as it had before. But eh. hope in all things, right? Yeah, hope in all
0: things. Always. Hope in all things. Yeah. Well, I did hope you were able to come through today for our <laughs> an episode, and I'm glad you did, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> as early as you could, and with no coffee as well. Sure. I do appreciate it. So, well, thanks pleasure. for doing well, episode really. number two. Thank you, and thanks for listening.